0: 21 listen now to the word of the Lord when the day of Pentecost arrived they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak each of us in his own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose,
1: The Lord be with you. Thank you. Um, Before I begin, I just want to make a a brief announcement. Um, We will be moving indoors for indoor services beginning in June. Uh, Given our current protocols and the recommendations which the session approved, uh, we could be meeting inside today, Um, however, the seminary has asked that we wait until the beginning of June to hold services inside. So that's what—that's why we're still continuing with the outdoor services today and one more week next Sunday. And then uh, assuming everything uh, continues with the uh, trends in terms of the uh, COVID, uh, we will be holding services indoors. Uh, more details will follow in the coming weeks, but I hope you uh, will all look forward to that uh, as we uh, go back to uh, more uh, regular. Uh, services indoors. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this uh, day that you have made and that we can be together and to worship you. Speak now your word to us. Come to us in the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your word. And in the hearing of your word, help us to be encouraged, to be strengthened, to do your work. We ask this in Jesus' name amen so over the last seven Sundays we saw Jesus's encounters with his disciples in his resurrected body and proving the reality of the resurrection Jesus did that over a period of 40 days and then according to Luke he ascended into heaven and as he did that he told his disciples that he would be sending the promise of the father upon them and that they should wait in Jerusalem until they would be clothed with power from on high. So for the next 10 days, the disciples gathered and waited and prayed in Jerusalem for the coming of the promised spirit. And as you heard in the reading this morning, the Holy Spirit came in great power. And we call this day Pentecost Sunday, and it marks the end of the Easter season. Now as Christians, we're accustomed to thinking of Pentecost as a Christian holiday, as the day of the Holy Spirit, but it is actually a day, a feast, celebrated by the Jews in Jesus' day. It was also called First Fruits, or the Harvest Festival, or the Feast of Weeks. Importantly, this holiday was associated with the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And it's the law that identified the people as the people of God. So every Pentecost, the people would gather together. They would celebrate the receiving of God's law together and renew their covenant with God as they celebrated the harvest. Timing-wise, it's called Pentecost because, as you might guess, the word Pentecost means 50th or 50 days. Pentecost occurs seven weeks after the Passover. And you might remember that the number seven is the number of completion. So if you think about seven weeks of seven, seven weeks of seven completions, it's like like perfection perfected. And so you get 49, and then the next day, the 50th day, is Pentecost. Much like the number eight represents the beginning of a new week, of a new start, so the number 50 is also the start of something new. And so the disciples are gathered together both to celebrate Pentecost and to be in obedience to Christ's word to remain in Jerusalem. The law was meant to identify the people and to guide the people in accordance with God's will. And so when the Holy Spirit came and filled up the people of God, it's now the Spirit that marks them as God's people, and it's the Spirit that will now guide the people of God. There was this, as you heard, this incredible, hard to describe, hard to understand event. Luke says that there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Like wind and as of fire. Something like it, though not it exactly. Wind and fire in the scriptures are often associated with the presence of God. And Luke is clear here that it's not actually wind or fire, but it's something like it. And it signifies the presence of the Holy Spirit of God a sound filled the room images of divided tongues fill the room something extraordinary happened but rather than describing this experience in detail luke is more interested in the consequences of what happened after the filling of the spirit and it's as if the the walls of the upper room just disappeared And they are now outside in the city of Jerusalem. And Peter seizes that moment and preaches the good news to the people. He interprets the words of the prophet Joel and concludes, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the good news. Because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, everyone and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter and the other disciples, both men and women, have been empowered supernaturally to proclaim the good news in other languages so that the people who are there from all over the world can hear this good news from these uneducated Galileans, the good news in their own heart language. This is not something that happens again and again. In fact, at the end of the uh, Acts 2, three thousand people are baptized as a result of peter's preaching but none of them receive this gift of speaking other languages instead as the church grows and spreads the presence of god's spirit will not be these sorts of occasional miraculous signs but a people as they form communities of care for one another and for the world it is in the service and in the worship of god that testifies to the reality of the presence of the Spirit of God, and the same holds true for us today. This is in many ways the start of the reversal of the curse of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, in disobedience to God's word to fill the earth, the people clustered and built a monument to themselves. As a result, God confused their languages and the people ended up scattering all over the face of the earth. Ever since, the people of earth have struggled with communication and have been divided and have been at war with one another. But now at Pentecost, a restoration is beginning. In the cacophony of voices, or as my kids used to pronounce it, in the cacophony of voices, a harmony of praise now begins to arise the confused babbling becomes now understandable and a community formed from all people's former enemies now becomes possible that is the ongoing work of the spirit of god and peter says that the spirit transforms the community into a community of prophets despite the popular imagination Biblical prophets are not fundamentally those who foretell or predict the future. Rather, they are those who forthrightly proclaim the word of God. This is our shared task together. It's not just me or Pastor Dohi or Pastor Danny. The whole church is to proclaim the good news. God declares to the prophet Joel, I will pour out my flesh on all flesh on your sons and your daughters they shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams I mean that's that's an incredible promise that's an incredible promise it's not just old people like me who will dream dreams but the young people have visions our youth group our sons our daughters our children's ministry even our tots and our sprouts they shall prophesy I know that we expect our children to listen to us and to do what we tell them to learn about God from us and they should but the Bible says that they are also the prophets of God that they also speak God's word to us and to the world and so we adults need to listen to them as well to all the young people today to our youth to our children I've told you this before, but listen to it again. You are not the future of the church. You are not the future of the church. You are the church now, today. And you must prophesy, that is, you must speak God's word to us in your own way, because the same spirit who lives in you lives in us. Let me just make one reflection with you this morning on this passage. Verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. Not just the 12 disciples. But Luke tells us there were about 120 people, including women, including Jesus' mother and his brothers who formerly did not understand him. They were all together in one place. Earlier in Acts 1, Luke tells us that all of these people, with one accord, with one mind, were devoting themselves to prayer. They were together in worship the disciples who had earlier abandoned Jesus and had scattered during arrest and his crucifixion have now come back together again because they saw Jesus they ate with him they drank with him they can now confidently declare that he is risen and that he is Lord and God and so they are gathered for worship together but isn't it interesting that Luke says that they were not only all together, but that they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. That that phrase has just popped up at me this week. It's quite redundant for Luke to phrase it this way. Why did he say that they were all together in one place? It would have been enough to say that they were all together. How else would they be together? It's not like they had Zoom and could be all together in different places. Well, I think Luke is phrasing it this way because he wants to emphasize the fact that on Pentecost Sunday, men and women were together in one space to worship. Ordinarily at the temple, they would not be allowed to worship together. There were separate courts for the men and the women. And in the ensuing chapters, Luke will further describe how Gentiles and Jews, slaves and free people from all over the world will gather together and worship together. People who might ordinarily be enemies or at best worship in separate spaces are now gathered together in one space because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this unity across gender ethnicity and other social markers was a remarkable even scandalous characteristic of the early church and so Luke tells us they were gathered all together in one place that is the good news that is a sign of the kingdom of God that all people can be gathered together in one place to worship now in any other year we probably wouldn't pay any further attention to this phrasing, they were all together in one place. But regardless of what Luke may have intended, doesn't this speak to our present circumstances? Isn't this what we are longing for? Not just to be together virtually and remotely on Zoom or in hybrid spaces, but to be all together in one space, physically together, preferably indoors in an air-conditioned space. Isn't this what we long for? To be all together in worship in one place. Now after our prolonged separation and isolation and hybridization, After the various divisions that have seeped into our lives, after the fatigue, the exhaustion, the languishing, the losses we have endured this year, we will have to learn to relearn how to be all together in one place in worship. Some of us will have to relearn how to greet one another, Some of us will have to relearn how to carry on small talk. Some of us will have to relearn how to serve to help set up and clean up. Some of us will have to relearn how to put on clothes to go outside. We will all have to relearn to some degree how to be comfortable around one another in crowded spaces. We will have to relearn how to embody the body of Jesus Christ once again, all together, in one place. I suspect we will all have to relearn how to come back to church on Sunday mornings on time. I don't know about all of you, but I found myself a little anxious coming to church the last few weeks because I couldn't quite remember all of my past routines. I keep thinking that I'm forgetting something. I keep asking my wife, what am I forgetting? It's like I can't remember what time I'm supposed to leave the church, what time I have to shower to have enough time to get dressed and get ready to leave. I can't remember the meetings that I used to have before service. And more than once, I forgot to bring the necessary keys to the church, to the outside doors, and to the closet in case you're wondering I didn't forget to bring Peter today he's home because he's kind of allergic to the outside right now now as we begin this process of re ourselves as we begin to gather together all in one place of worship I want to remind you I want to ask you to remember two words the first is compassion I ask you again to be patient with one another and to act in a spirit of compassion as we transition to recorporation. I know that you all have differing levels of comfort and differing sensibilities about what is reasonably safe, and I ask you to be respectful of those differences. As we regather, I think it's helpful for us to remember the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. You know the church in Corinth was divided over so many issues and their divisions were caused by a difference of opinions about all kinds of things that today, which we might think of as being silly or unimportant. For example, they argued, they differed on whether or not it was okay to eat meat that had been offered to idols. It was a big issue for them some people said hey it's no big deal it's just me who cares where it's been others said no you can't touch that stuff that's been sacrificed to false idols what's instructive for us is that for paul the question was not ultimately about who was right and who was wrong in fact he had a very strong opinion about what was right but rather than insisting upon his truth, he instead prioritized the well-being of his brothers and sisters over his own belief. He even went so far in his radical care for others that he wrote in 1 Corinthians eight thirteen, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble do you see that he was willing to voluntarily restrict his own freedom for the sake of his brothers and sisters the well-being of others was a higher priority than his own freedoms a few chapters later in first Corinthians he will add these words all things are lawful but not all things are helpful All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. It is in this spirit of compassion that we have kept to a more conservative approach in asking you to wear a mask and to have delayed our gathering together in person, because we want to pursue the good of our neighbors. We want to be helpful, to build people up, to seek the good of others, and not just our own comforts and freedoms. So whether it's about eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols, or whether it's about wearing masks, you may be right in what you think. You have the freedom to behave in a particular way. But out of love for your sisters and brothers, out of concern for those with a different understanding, perhaps of a different or weaker faith, out of compassion for the whole body of Christ, let's choose to act in a manner that prioritizes the good of others. In the coming weeks, there will be those who will continue to stay home for worship services, or those who will want to continue to wear masks outdoors. There's no need to criticize one another. It may be that some people are not vaccinated. It may be that some people are still struggling psychologically, being in crowds and feeling not safe. It may be some are immunocompromised and they are following the best advice that they can get right now from their doctors. Let's not judge one another. We must not. Let meat eating or mask wearing separate the church or to ostracize a brother or a sister for whom Christ gave his life. The work of the spirit is to bind us together, to bring us together. And as the apostle Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all, to the glory of god and what brings glory to god is when we live in a way that cares for others when we extend compassion toward one another as we transition to gathering and worship all together in one place the second word i want you to remember is celebration compassion and celebration I want to encourage you to look forward to our regathering all together in one place. To set aside your sense of fear or anxiety. And to look forward to it with thanksgiving and celebration. I've been hearing that the world is getting ready to party as if to make up for a whole lost year of partying. Well I think as Christians we have even more reasons to celebrate. Michael Rhodes, writing in Christianity Today, made this observation about another time of transition. In Deuteronomy 14, the people of God, who spent 40 years more or less in quarantine in the desert, just wandering around, are preparing to enter the promised land. They will have to learn to transition from living as a nomadic people to a life as a settled community. And as they prepare to make that shift, to figure out how to live in a different sort of way, here's what God tells them. God says that in the place that God will choose, in the place that God will choose to make his name dwell, the people are to gather together in that place, and basically God says, have a party. Verse 26 God says, spend the money, that is the tithe that they were to bring, for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep, right? beef or mutton, wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. I mean, isn't that an incredible word? As the people are about to enter the promised land, at the heart of God's instruction is this joyful celebration that the people are to hold together before God. Spend your money for whatever you desire so that you can all celebrate together whatever you desire and crave. We're starting already. That means more donuts and more than donuts. This joy that God speaks of is found in communal celebration of eating and drinking in the presence of God. And isn't that what we have all missed so much? The people of God are those who come together in one place because God because of what God has done and taste God's goodness and the generosity of God all together. I know that this is what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to celebrating and eating and drinking with all of you. Everything from the sugar loaded instant coffees to Boston cream donuts during fellowship time to hanging out together after service at a local restaurant for lunch to gathering in your homes for dessert, for FG. Most of all, I'm looking forward to celebrating communion with you all in one place. The wait, I hope, will soon be over. And we can all gather together once again in one place to eat the bread and to drink the cup and proclaim the death of our savior until he comes again. Please pray with me. God, we thank you that you sent your spirit that makes our community possible. Help us to live in the power of your spirit that we, with compassion and celebration, may gather together all together in one place once again in worship we ask for a renewal as we transition back to an embodied presence together be with us we ask we pray these things in the name of our lord jesus christ who taught us to pray